21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my Run Your Life podcast series. Uh, I'm sitting beside Neela Steele right now. And on the Skype line right now, uh, live from Pennsylvania, is our good friend Mike Kuzala, who we asked, uh, invited in to today's uh, recording of Four Times Mindfulness to also share some of his uh, insight into what mindfulness means to him, in particular, maybe a couple strategies or approaches that he, he puts into action or things that inspire him in regards to mindfulness. So this is kind of a special episode uh, because we're having Mike in on the, um, the recording. Uh, we actually tried a few months ago, it was probably three months ago now, to do a recording like this with Mike, but the um, the connection on Skype was really poor. Um, so although it was a great episode, and I think we recorded for over an hour, and there was so much of great information and great insight shared uh, between the three of us, um, we just could not get over the technical challenge of uh, putting it together because of the, the poor connection. But it seems as though we have a good connection. We are in uh, Cinque Terre, Italy right now recording. Um, but I'm without going into too much more, I'm just going to get Mike to introduce himself um, and say a few words about the work he does and what mindfulness means to him before actually going into sharing the four seeds of mindfulness for today's episode. So Mike, uh, Neil and I are going to hand it over to you to introduce yourself and say hi. Thank you, Andy. Uh, as you've mentioned, my name is Mike Kazala, and I live in the world of education. Uh, I am the uh, academic director for a company called the Regional Training Center, and we offer graduate courses and a MED in uh, New Jersey and Maryland and Pennsylvania in the United States in partnership with LaSalle University and uh, the College of New Jersey. Uh, that allowed me to be creative in my life uh, and create and design several graduate courses based around wellness, based around motivation, and specifically then movement, uh, which gave, gave me a, a gift of another world of occupation, employment, but really just joyful living, uh, and where I get to go around the world and, and help teachers and administrators and uh, learn about movement and the, the different ways they can be very powerful in the classroom. So I just feel very uh, blessed about my work and the, the opportunities that I've had. So I, I mean, uh, finally, I mean, I'm the author of the co-author of the uh, <clears throat> Kinesthetic Classroom Teaching and Learning Through Movement and also a book called Training in Motion. So my world right now revolves around the brain and, and how it functions and how it prefers to learn and how that plays into the world of movement, physical activity, and physical fitness. 
Yeah, and the uh, cool thing is that we were connected through physical education and movement, and we met in person in Manila back in March. And although we met in person in March, we were actually uh, introduced to one another uh, a few months before that through our friend Jorge Rodriguez from Houston, Texas. So you and I have a bit of backstory going into uh, March and meeting in person at the conference to present there. But I think that we've continued our connection because it's deeper than physical education and movement. It's also our passion for mindfulness and well-being. And I want to draw Neela into the discussion now just to say a few words and to say hello. Um, but Neela also obviously is very much uh, connected in regards to uh, mindfulness and well-being. So the three of us have had a uh, kind of an ongoing connection through social media and Skype just sharing our passion. But Neela, um, say hello to everybody and uh, a few words before we begin. Happy holidays, everyone. Um, I hope that uh, you're really striving to enjoy the end of 2016. It's a time to um, uh, sort of count your blessings, reflect on the year that has passed, and hopefully be open and receptive to what 2017 will bring and hopefully health and happiness for all of us. And and that's what I believe how this project started with Andy and I. Um, we didn't really know if we were going to have any listeners, but it wasn't so much about who would be listening. It was Andy and I finding gems that resonated with us for ways that we could live uh, a more mindful life and be present to first and foremost our our boys and each other and and then allow everything else to to spill forth and come into our relationships uh, as we're both educators and um, it it just began as as that a little teeny tiny project to share with others and having Mike uh, you're the first person that we're bringing in. Um, as a guest to, to share. And that kind of speaks volumes for the connection that we have for you and the insight that we gain from, from your experiences and, and your wisdom and knowledge in regards to mindfulness. So um, if you are good to go, Mike, I will start with my first seat of mindfulness. Um, are you good with that? I'm ready. Always uh, anxious to listen to you talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, just a, a bit of backstory for any new listeners. The four times mindfulness is is a uh, just sharing four kind of big ideas or insights or inspiration related to mindfulness. And the one thing before I begin my first seed that I want to stress is that um, there are no definitive answers to what mindfulness is. Um, you often, if you Google mindfulness, you'll have all these definitions and you'll have all these people saying mindfulness is this or mindfulness is that. But really the message of this podcast is mindfulness is what you make of it. And mindfulness is about well-being, social, emotional well-being and, and how to strive for personal and pro professional excellence by being aware of the importance of social and emotional well-being. So we are just sharing what, what resonates with us, and we hope that in return, uh, some, some gems resonate with you. So I'm going to start with my first seat of mindfulness, and it is um, about a, some professional training that I did a few weeks ago. 
so right now my current position at the Coast School in Saudi Arabia is a pedagogical coach, which is kind of like an instructional coach for teachers. So we had a uh, a, a four-day uh, training uh, about a month and a half ago uh, in cognitive coaching. And one of the first things, and this really, really stuck with me, because I have worked so hard in my life at at overcoming negative thought patterns, um, you know, coming from a dysfunctional past and uh, growing up in a dysfunctional family, uh, negative patterns of thinking was was very much habit, and you're not aware of being in the habit of negative thinking until you become self-aware of this type of thinking. And for many years, I was not able to control those negative thoughts. And I'm amazed at kind of the success that I had despite in sport, um, despite having these predominant kind of negative thought patterns. But the cognitive uh, coaching uh, trainer, one of the first things he says, uh, said in the training was that 90 to 95% of our daily thoughts are repeated consistently. And that really struck home with me. And he said this is based on years of, of scientific evidence um, that, you know, we often experience on a day-to-day basis the same thoughts. And when we are not self-aware of what those thoughts are, they can control our behavior and emotion and and in many circumstances hold us back from achieving um, I don't want to say excellence, but but holding us back from achieving success, whatever success means to us. So, you know, over the last several years, I've been very aware of this, and I've been very tuned in through mindfulness and meditation and reflection of, of being aware of my habitual thought patterns. But this really struck home to me, and it re-emphasized that you can never get good enough at being self-aware and 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 present in regards to your own thought patterns so that being present and self-aware allows us to identify harmful thought patterns and to call them out within ourselves and this is what the cognitive uh, coaching trainer said that that's one of the 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 biggest tools that a cognitive coach can bring to the people that they work with is that ability to help people become aware of that 90 to 95% of, of habitual thought patterns. Um, so I just wanted to draw attention to that. And as our cognitive coaching trainer said, that you you detect these patterns when you become self-aware and you absolutely call them out mm. within yourself. So it might be, for example, that you're trying to become more physically active and you set a goal to, to maybe uh, run four out of seven mornings a week. Maybe that goal is much too big. But the second that you don't bring yourself out, get yourself out of bed and you and get out the door, you begin to belittle yourself with comments saying, oh, you're a loser. I knew you couldn't stick to this. Um, you know, you never stick to anything. 
those are types of comments are part of this negative thought pattern that can exist within people. So you have to call yourself out on it right away if you want to break the pattern. And every single time, just like a somebody who's trying to stop smoking, the minute that they go to grab a cigarette, they have to call themselves out and challenge themselves. So the way the cognitive coach um, said that you can help to break these patterns is through a pyramid of influence. So you imagine a, a pyramid, a triangle, and on the bottom layer of that triangle is your intention. So it's about setting intentions. And, and then the next layer up is attention, paying attention to the intention that you had set. So when you wake up and you catch yourself in that pattern, you're paying attention to it. And then the, th the third part of the triangle, the top part, is taking action. And that's taking action through actually following through on the steps that you had set in your intention or to call yourself out on these negative thought patterns. So although I was already aware of this type of thing before the training, it really hit home with me because, you know, just our transition over the last few months, moving to a new place and a new job and our kids going to a new school and, and Neela in a new job it's kind of easy to let yourself fall into negative thought patterns mm -hmm. when you do not become self-aware. So the greatest advice, and I'm not a guru in this, it's just something that I, I'm passionate about sharing with others is that no matter what success you have had in life, you can never practice the art of becoming aware of habitual thought patterns. And it just takes reflection and being honest with yourself and and looking at it straight on when you when you know that you're in a negative tailspin of thought patterns that you call yourself out on it and you don't allow yourself to go there because we're all capable of so much more mm. and that my friend michael is what <laughs> i wanted to share for the first seat of mindfulness yeah andy i, I just if i could comment briefly there's other things about that that are so important. There's ramifications for that type of thought over and over and over again. I mean, one of the things that I teach is about the brain-body connection. And one of the first things I always let audience, member know, uh, audience members know is that, uh, you know, uh, cortisol always running around in your bloodstream, you know, which is a powerful hormonal byproduct of stress because – I, I think you would agree continually negative thought patterns uh, are stressful and can become stressful. And cortisol is a, is an immune cell, uh, inhibitor, meaning, you know, it, it will uh, downgrade your immune system. And Deepak Chopra has a wonderful quote that says your immune system is constantly eavesdropping on your internal dialogue. So there's a physical downside to constant negative thinking if it's producing a stress response. Uh, and so the more that you're aware of, of the negative thought and the negative feedback you're getting in the brain and, and trying to overcome that and change that, the actual healthier your life can be. Um, and people don't often think about that because they don't see the connection between the two. The brain has a profound influence on the body. And so I really enjoy listening to your 
your kind of action plan to help people overcome that because it's so important for their outlook on life and for their mindfulness, but also for their physical health and their physical body and how they walk through their daily living. And, and to add to that, I like how you said, uh, Mike, you know, the brain has such a profound effect on the body and, and vice versa, the body, um, as you can probably um, support as well, that once you get moving, then that also has an impact on the way that you you think and the way that you begin to react to things. So the, the connection is is that balance. Brain affects the body, the body affects the brain. And there's two ways about about going with about it. Like the the mental weightlifting, I always like to say, because we take such care of our teeth and our exercise and yet default to negative thinking or defeatist attitudes or let doubt sort of drown us uh, and prevent us from doing things that, that ultimately we're, we're dreaming about doing and we just let that doubt um, sort of suffocate us and take over. But if we become aware, that's sort of the first step to... Um, saying no thank you to those thoughts, or um, I've heard it uh, being used in a meditation as saying no thank you to that to that annoying uh, door-to-door salesman, or saying, you know, sort of silencing that annoying roommate in your head, and saying no, I'm not going to uh, take that route today, I need to pivot and, and start shifting very slowly to either a neutral or, or positive uh, avenue. Oh, yeah, without, without question. It's just we have to be so aware. And, and the, the brain-body connection moves on with your awareness or not. Right. And so the more you're, the more you're aware the more influence you can have on it, mm-hmm. um, which is which you certainly can. So your your point is well taken. Yeah. Um, so it's great to kind of just have this discussion about the importance of you know. I, again, I I think I return back to you know. I know that there'll be people listening to this that are very successful, um, but again, just reiterating the fact that regardless of how successful you are or if you feel that you've had no success, whatever it is, uh, especially during this holiday season, be very aware of, of your thought patterns because if you remove yourself from family um, for most of the year and then you go back to your family for Christmas, you can be exposed to different ways of thinking in your family that are not so positive or maybe very positive, whatever it is. But but just at this time of year, you're going to be around um, people that um, that you're close to. So just just to be aware of that and, and I think just to draw attention to it. But um, that would close up the first seat of mindfulness and Neela Steele is going to move on to the second seat of mindfulness for today's episode. Of four times mindfulness. Yes. So, um, as Andy was saying, we're in Cinque Terre, Italy, and the whole journey here 
has been, um, you know, uh, amazing photos that we've captured. But behind the scenes, the transition is uh, as much as it is so much fun in our lives and that we love doing this. There's always those behind the scenes, um, that sort of stressful getting ready um, for the journey, helping the boys pack, um, the four of us kind of being in closed, tight quarters and our space is... is, um, sort of limited, but we're still, you know, aiming to have a, put on a happy face. And Eli reminded me of a very quirky, funny story. Eli is our eldest son and he's 13 years old. And he told me this story about a year ago. But whenever I get stressed, the boys know that uh, I'm no longer quite light and jokey. I'm quite heavy and serious and a little bit naggy. So Eli reminded me of just this way to keep it light. And he told me this story. He was in music class in uh, in his previous school, Nanjing International School. And uh, they were in a circle and the music teacher was tapping out the beat. And the song happened to have the word happiness in it. So Eli told me his friend Tirso started giggling and laughing and Eli was beside him and said, what's up? What's up? And so the teacher was tapping out happiness. And he said, it was like half penis, half penis. (laughs) And Eli and his friend Tirso started cracking up because forever (laughs) happiness now is half penis. And, um, it just reminded me the, the goofy sense of humor that kids have And I think as uh, a mother or an older person kind of losing those joyful ways and we forget. So before uh, we were preparing for the podcast, uh, I know this is the end of the year and, you know, a great uh, time of year to have lists. So I scribbled down uh, 10 intentional ways to be more joyful. And that goes not only for this holiday season, but sort of throughout January and February, those those months in the Northern Hemisphere when it tends to be dark early and um, the days are shorter. So here is my top 10 list of ways to intentionally be, bring more joyfulness into your life. And the first one I'm sure you will agree with, Mike, is be joy in motion you know, take time to go for a walk, take time to to have mini energizers with your family. If you tend to be um, sort of hibernating, make sure you're moving throughout your, your house or wherever you dwell. And the second one is slow down in any way, shape or form that you can say to yourself, take your time. How often uh, do I hear, you know, hurry up on the streets when people are shopping and people show uh, with their bodies their their level of impatience. So I try to just say to myself, take your time. The third one is to speak and use a gentle tone. Even when you're agitated and irritated, do your utmost 
to speak in a tone that is very kind, especially to family members. Number four is give thanks. Overuse and abuse the phrase, I appreciate. I appreciate it when you cook for the family. I appreciate it when you pick up your clothes. And I appreciate when you make me smile and laugh. Number five is eat with pleasure, not guilt. If you are going to indulge in excess, then just enjoy it. Allow it to be the season for you to drink mindfully, eat mindfully, not obsess about it, and don't have guilt over your choice of savoring whatever it is you're savoring. And number six, be generous with your affection Uh, Give 20-second hugs to boost oxytocin and decrease cortisol. As you were saying, Mike, the stress hormone. So if all it takes is giving a couple extra 20-second hugs, then be generous with your affection. Number seven is write old friends or new friends a postcard. Since we've been in Italy, I've been buying old-school postcards writing a few friends here or there, and um, I know that they will receive such delight in in receiving a handwritten postcard written from the heart. Uh, Number eight, smile. Smile at strangers and see how many smiles you will receive in return. Number nine, give the gift of listening intentionally to someone you care about, someone you love, or even a stranger, a small interaction in the middle of the street. And number 10, remember to be gentle with yourself. And that's uh, Miss Neela's top 10 ways to bring more intentional, joyful ways of being. Voila. Michael Kuzala, what do you have to say about that? Wow. <laughs> it's a it's a comprehensive, <laughs> wonderful list, yeah. and uh, I'm I'm gonna have to go back over the podcast to, uh, to to get it all back down. But it just all of those things just keep you so grounded, and and make you feel really good. And, and I I really appreciate that list, and I really appreciate the story in the beginning. I'll I'll never think of the words happiness in the same way. <laughs> Does a hey Mike? Does any one of those um, do? Did any one of those ten kind of stick out to you? Yeah, actually, and it, it's the it's something physical, but it's uh, you know being giving of affection, and I, I don't think I said it quite in the same way, but yeah. uh, I, I grew up in a very affectionate family, and you know we hug uh, in my family, and my kids are home from college, and. Uh, but we we don't hold them for twenty seconds, uh, and, and and we need to do that. And it just is with every second, the connection gets stronger, yeah. and the the chemical the chemicals in the brain and body change, and you both just leave the hug feeling really good. And it's free, and it's easy, and it's something that um, uh, I. I, I I hope that more and more people uh, see the benefit of and and do and give freely of during this during this uh, such a wonderful time of the year. Yeah, when Nila was uh, when we were in Nanjing, she was uh, infamous for 
going through the school, giving 20 second hugs. And it was funny to see over the years because some people obviously would be really uncomfortable with it. You could see, you could see them be a little uncomfortable with it, but they got to know Neela and that was her style. And then they just gave into it. And then some people would start to request the 20 second hug. That's right. That's Um, right. They'd say, I need a a 20 second hug. And, and the other thing that I love saying, Mike, is when I sort of detected some resistance, I would just say, come on, melt into me because, you know, there's separation, there's patting on the back. And I'd even be known to tell people like, nope, there's no talking. Nope, there's no patting on the back. Nope, just enjoy the hug. So I had sort of, I was sort of critiquing people's hugs, which I'm <laughs> sure they didn't like, but eventually they, eventually they surrendered. Yeah. It's a good feeling. So, so Mike, we're going to move in and, and I hope that in one minute you're going to hear the church bells here because the church bells, the church is about 40 meters from our apartment and, uh, Every hour they go off. So if you hear the church bells when you're going into the third seat of uh, mindfulness, uh, you can just uh, appreciate them and, and carry forward with your seat of mindfulness, whatever it is. But uh, Michael Kuzala now will uh, talk about his third seat of mindfulness. So, Mike, why don't you begin us? Uh, take us off. Go ahead. So I was recently reading an article by someone who you both know I, I really a treasure in my life, uh, and that Tony Robbins. And I, I've seen him, I've listened to his audio programs over the years, and it's really been a, a helpful force in my life to get me from a point in time that was not very productive. And, uh, you know, almost three decades later, uh, helped to be just a, a level of productivity that I'm just very proud of, uh, and how much that I could pass along what I know and, and help others. And, and so he, he asked one fundamental question in the article, and that was, do you want to be happy? And, uh, you know, it's a choice. And the, the, the brain is not set up for your happiness. And you take a real gamble when you allow circumstances that surround you to dictate your happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so to be happy takes work. It takes a simple choice, but then it takes work to go about being happy despite the circumstances that you find yourself in and changing your perspective to be happy. And, and, you know, I've worked at it for a long, long time. And it goes back to how this even started when Andy's talking about changing the negative thought patterns. And your brain will go there first. You know, your brain will do more to avoid pain and, and to gain pleasure. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the things that I do after I meditate each morning is that I find three things to be grateful for. And I focus on them. There were moments that have already happened in my life. Things that led to uh, bigger things that, that I had never could have dreamed of, and they were simple moments. Uh, like, for example, the company I work for, I'm so grateful for, for the, this company, uh, Regional Training Center, because it allowed me to grow as an individual, design coursework, write books, become a leader in the company. It just changed my life incredibly. 
And I found them because of a brochure that was in my school mailbox one day. Who knew? Mm. This was like 20 years ago. And I often, when I think of the, the, my three moments to start today, I think of that moment. I think of the moment my children were born. Sometimes I'll think about the moment when I first saw my wife. These were small things at the time, but I'm so grateful for them and how they changed my world. And that puts me in the right state to create happiness throughout my day. So I try to start my day to get into a state of gratefulness so that I know and I will, no matter what comes my way, I can stay in a state of gratefulness, happiness, and focus on others and, and trying to provide a more happy experience for them. And one of the things that's coming up in my life that I made a decision to do, it's even difficult for me to get through to talk about it. It's going to be a real challenge to do, but I know what the research says. I know what it's going to produce in my life. So I'm going to write a gratitude letter to my mother. And she, she's uh, you know in her 80s, and she is uh, in a home. And I don't know how many years she has, but I'm, I'm going to write this letter and you know, reach the research part of this, which will pull me back into not being so emotional, is that it shows that you get a, a really notched up level of happiness for up to three months. So it's just as much a, not selfish, but it's as much for me as it is for her. You get a certain level by writing the letter. You get a certain level of happiness by sending the letter, knowing they'll read it. But the most joy and the most happiness and the most mindfulness comes from writing the letter, going to the person and reading the letter to mm. them. It's a really fantastic, unique experience that can bring you joy and happiness for a, a long time to come. So that's my first seed. <sighs> Do we need a we need a we need we a need, big spacious breath right yeah. now? Um, that is. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Mike. That is um, obviously at this time of year. Um, one of the things that I that I you know I don't I've I've come to grips with, <clears throat> but uh, seventeen years ago, uh, my brother passed away from an aneurysm and I guess that that strategy that, that you talk about um, is giving gratitude to the living but I think that if you were to take that and you were to do that <clears throat> for somebody who has passed away it would be equally significant mm -hmm. you know so to take that time to write the letter of appreciation and gratitude and um, just read it. So that is uh, very special, you know. And I think at this time of year, again, when we return back to um, the, the pressure that people put on themselves to make this time of year um, such an amazing experience Christmas, you know, our strategy and something that has helped me over the years, and this is what I say to my boys, is every day is Christmas. Um, so it doesn't matter if it's April or whatever. It's just that idea of being really uh, having a lot of gratitude. So 
Um, I just wanted to kind of share that because when I listen to you talk about the impact that your mother had on you and how grateful you are, it makes me think of the impact that my brother had on me and, you know, what he taught me. Um, so yeah, that's what I wanted to share in response to you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Andy. And, and yeah, the one, you know, this is one of the activities that we do in the wellness graduate course that we offer. And, uh, and people do write to people who have passed, uh, you know, unfortunately they can't read them the letter in person, but it's still equally as, as powerful. And, uh, you know, maybe there's some things that they didn't know or realize that you would like them to. And uh, I think that that's a, a, a th thank you for offering that because it's not just, just for the living. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, the, the priming exercise that you're referring to the Tony Robbins exercise, Mike, I like the, the one where he sort of, um, he guides you to really think back to a moment in your life, uh, whether it was uh, full of love or full of success. Um, I, I remember doing that and I thought about my father who, uh, passed away in 2004 and, and for me thinking back to moments in my life where, where I absolutely without a doubt knew that my dad loved me and, uh, thinking back to those moments, sort of reliving them as if they were happening in the moment. I remember feeling such a, a swell of love for my dad. It wasn't, it wasn't grief and the longing to be with him again, but it was just that ultimate knowing that uh, I felt that I was a good daughter and I felt that the love between my father and, and me, it just sort of, uh, filled me with so much gratitude that carried on. And I, I think it's, it's good to remind yourself of all those sort of ordinary moments and, uh, be able to appreciate them later on in life. Yeah. And I think that, uh, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say gratitude is, gratitude is happiness. It, it, it is not about hoping and, and not about wanting, but appreciating what's here and being mindful about that. So I think that's an important point. Yeah. And I like what Tony Robbins says is that for many people, this is a great, or this type of activity of, of uh, showing gratitude and appreciation is, is really important because when you actually take, uh, the time and energy to show gratitude and to reflect and to really think about these things, it's impossible to be angry and pissed off because you cannot go in the direction of gratitude and appreciation and still harbor feelings of resentment and anger and frustration. Mm -hmm. So that's where Tony separates negative and positive. He's like, when you put yourself into that emotional state, that, you know, that state of gratitude and appreciation, it's impossible to bring all of that other crap um, with you. And, and that is the space that you have to get yourself into 
to remove yourself from from any uh, negativity or or you know those those types of emotions that might hold you back. Uh, thank you for bringing that up because it's so true. You cannot be stressed and be grateful and and even really be mindful at the same time. Mm-hmm. It just it, it can't be, and it takes a lot of good practice, intentional practice. But when you're caught in your in your life and really getting into the juice of your life in the moment, it takes you away from that stress in your brain because most stress is about either about something that might happen or something yeah. that did happen. Yeah, exactly. When you when you pull yourself into the moment with gratefulness and mindfulness, you know, life is so much healthier and more fun. Mm. Yeah. Um, so let's transition over to uh, the fourth seat of mindfulness, seeing as, as this is four times mindfulness. You are going to close off the show, my friend, with uh, the fourth seat of mindfulness for today. So I've had some uh, really joyful things happen recently that uh, many, many, too many to mention here, but one in particular is kind of personal for me and uh, makes me happy and it really turned my life and I think that, you know, mindfulness plays a part of it. So my son is home from college. He's 20 years old. He's a college athlete. He's a college baseball player. He's a very physical kid. Uh, tried to get him involved in music when he was younger. And, it, and you know, he did to a degree. The things that you do in school, the school, you know, plays and, and choral work when you're young. And, and got him into band for a year. It's never took. So during the past six months, he has taken up the ukulele. Oh, nice. It is just an, <laughs> an unbelievable experience to watch and to listen to. And he, it, it relaxes him. It pulls him into the moment. And those were the two things. I was about the same age. I was almost 21 years old when I found music. And I, was, I had just really over the last two years really became physically fit you know, which he, he pays very much close attention to, uh, very much pays close attention to. And so it, it's really gratifying for me uh, to have become a musician, to have really worked on my fitness throughout my life, to watch him. do. I didn't push him for a moment. We haven't talked about music for a long time. And here he comes home with a ukulele, and it's just overtaken his life and given him so much joy um, and so those two things that I, when I look back on my own life, what changed the direction of my life was physical fitness and music. And I didn't have either one of those until I was almost about 18. And then the other one was about 21. And those two things in combination, I look back and I think, wow, what that was doing for your brain, mm-hmm. what it was doing for your mindfulness, because you have to be mindful when you're playing an instrument, even there's so many decisions that you have to make in the moment, or you might be reading the music, or you might be thinking of the music, or which direction do you want to go next? Or even if I'm listening to music, I pay conscious attention to it. And of course, being physically fit when I'm moving and I'm lifting and I'm, and I'm running and I'm cycling, I have to be very aware. So, uh, you know, if, if someone out there is listening and, you know, needs something specific to move them more towards mindfulness that might be attainable for them 
and, and, and uh, I think that you know physical fitness is one, even if they're beginning to walk and, or run or, you know, or bike or whatever it is and doing so mindfully, keeping them in the moment. And, and music, I think, can be a wonderfully, and you guys are experienced right now in Italy, probably so many wonderful sounds. Uh, it can really keep you mindful and the act of playing an instrument at any age, at any age to begin is such a beautiful thing. So those two things have been a source of beauty and, and mindfulness. And I'm very grateful for uh, the fact that those things are now happening in my son's life. And I just thought that that was, would be something that uh, might be of interest to others. I think that's uh, that really strikes home, too, because, um, yeah, music for, for Neela and I, um, we really we haven't done it in in a while. We still haven't done it in Saudi Arabia because I need new strings on my guitar. But um, one of the things that we we do and it's a winter thing when we were in the past, when we were living in China and Japan and Azerbaijan, uh, come winter time, I would bring out the acoustic guitar and we would spend hours and hours. I would just play guitar and Neela would sing songs and it, it was, it was excellent. It connected us. Uh, we would pick a song, we'd work on it. Neela would listen to, uh, a song that she liked or whatever, and, and then tell me about it, then I would learn to play it, and we would spend weeks practicing and, and playing, and sometimes we, we would play live, but it wasn't about performing for an audience. It was more just that it was a ritual for us during the winter months to pick up the acoustic guitar and have a glass of red wine and, and just play music, and it, there's something to it, you know, and you're right, you know, it's that, that physical and the musical really kind of sync up and it just makes you feel so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Mike, we were also surprised um, when, we, when we arrived at Kaust, Eli on his own auditioned for the uh, middle school musical and he did this all on his own. And uh, he ended up having a role as Rapunzel's prince of Into the Woods, where he he sang uh, Agony. And uh, I don't think it was until we actually saw him perform that we understood all the hours and the rehearsals that he had gone through. And uh, by no means are we uh, stage parents at all. Eli did it all on his own and practiced and just the joy of watching him perform and the joy of seeing him um, sort of get over those hurdles of uh, performing on stage, trying to control his voice. And the best, I loved this, Mike, was before Eli's sort of final performance, he came to me and he said, Mom, I need a meditation and a visualization before I go on stage tonight. And I was like, yes. (laughs) At 13, to know the power of meditation and visualization, I was like, yes, bring it on. So, and you gave him a breath. Yeah, that's, so good. We, that's good parenting. Well, we hope so. We hope so. Yeah. And so um, I think we're going to wrap up our four times mindfulness. Are we? Okay. Is that right? Um, so uh, what we do now to um, finish the show is we just do kind of a, a summary 
the the four things. So I will start with uh, my first seed of mindfulness, which was all about detecting habitual uh, thought patterns, uh, in particular negative thought patterns, uh, being aware of them that 90 to 95% of our daily thoughts are repeated consistently. So if you are a person who embraces positive thought and you do this consistently, great. But if you're a person that uh, tends to lean towards more self-defeating thoughts and negative thoughts, then you can uh, become much more self-aware by putting the pyramid of influence into action, which is setting an intention, uh, something you intend to do, then paying close attention to um, your thought patterns and taking immediate action. So that was the first seat of mindfulness. And the second seat of mindfulness was um, a list of 10 ways to intentionally bring more um, joyful acts into your life. And um, the little story that will always change the word happiness to half penis. <laughs> Remember to find the light and the joy in everything that you do. And that was the second seat of mindfulness. And the third seat, Michael? Uh, was answering the question of, do you want to be happy? And realizing that you and you alone are responsible for it. Sometimes that's difficult to grasp. You have the ability to change your outlook and thus change your circumstances. And two habits, or one habit and one activity, can take you to a new level. It is a daily gratitude, finding three things that you're grateful for and focusing on those things uh, first thing in the morning. And the second thing is, is writing a gratitude letter to somebody, mm. whether uh, you have to send it in the mail or you have to uh, just write it and put it aside because they're, they're no longer here. Or the very best thing to do would be to write a letter to someone who is living and go read them the letter. That will provide a level of satisfaction and joy and happiness in both of your lives for months. Mm -hmm. That's what the research shows anyway. That's amazing. And uh, finally, the, that's amazing. Yeah, go no, ahead. I just wanted to say, returning back to that, that's amazing that research actually supports that act of like gratitude, you know, and it's, um, I'm just going to, pause here just to really reflect on that because the scientific research uh, is continually supporting more and more th these types of things that relate to social and emotional well-being so I just wanted to, to throw that out there and uh, finally the fourth seed of mindfulness is to the, the larger picture is bringing activity into your life that forces you into the moment. And for me, it was a life changer. It was the act of becoming a musician. It was the act of deciding that physical fitness was going to be a lifelong uh, habit for me and moving forward in that. And, and I, I had great joy in, I think, kind of hopefully influencing my son, who has made those decisions as well. And they bring mindfulness and and, uh, and joy and uh, really gratefulness uh, into your life on a daily basis. And those are very two specific things. Maybe there's something else that you might want to go after that will make your life more grateful and mindful. But music, the 
combination of the brain and body, the musical and the physical, has worked very well for me and now appears to be working well for my son also. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, just being here in Italy and hearing the Italian music, you know, it was just, perfect timing for you to say that this morning. Uh, we were just, it was about 11 a.m., and imagine our windows. We have these windows that open up onto this little, little tiny alley corner. And there's a little store down there that sells fruits and vegetables and meats and cheeses. And there was the, the guy that was delivering goods to the store. Literally, it was like a little Fiat. He opened up the back of it and uh, was lifting the stuff inside the store and and out of the the car was blaring beautiful italian opera music <laughs> and it was, it was uh, just, that's just perfect yeah. that's perfect and i just got the phone the iphone and i just hit record and i just recaptured about 20 seconds of it and it was just echoing off the walls and it was so beautiful but um yeah, so Mike, we just want to uh, thank you very much. Um, what I am going to do is I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the original podcast that I did with you where you shared your journey. And I didn't know that about you at the time, about your music and going into college and pursuing this degree in, in uh, music education, right? So you told that story in the original podcast. So I'm going to actually, you know, you reminded me about your, your musical background and your passion for music. Um, so I'm going to attach that um, podcast in the, in the show notes. Okay, great. That sounds great. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, Neela, any, any fun? You know what? I, I'm going to put Neela on the spot right now. Um, I, uh, our last uh, Four Times Mindfulness podcast, she closed off with her loving kindness can, to, can you can you close off with absolutely that one? and I, um so mike, I just, yes go ahead. go ahead no i just wanted to say mike we we had so much fun the last time even though our our podcast never came to life due to so many little technical glitches but i'm really happy that we we got a second chance to have another uh recording with you so Close it off, Neela. Uh, well, thank, thank you. And I'm equally happy, and I feel like a little piece of me is in Italy, and that makes me happy yeah. also. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to, to close the podcast today, we're just going to finish with um, some loving kindness. And um, if you are listening, I'd like you to call to mind somebody that you care about, that uh, you care about deeply. And uh, think of their face and the color of their eyes, maybe the way their lips turn up into a smile and say their name in your head and repeat, may they be free from harm. May they have a calm, clear mind and a peaceful, loving heart. May they be physically strong and vital. And may they experience love and joy, wisdom and wonder in this world just as it is. So thanks so much for listening. Okay, we're going to sign off. Uh, Mike, just stay on the line. We're going to just stop recording and we'll just do a, a quick debrief. But everybody, thank you for listening to this special Christmas episode of Four Times Mindfulness with Neela Steele, myself, and Mike Kazala. We hope you come back and listen to future episodes. 
for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassett. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com. Thank you.